Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show lined up for you today, including special guest William Yateman. He is a senior legal fellow with Pacific Legal Foundation. Dr. Marion Mass is going to be joining us, a Philadelphia area pediatrician and co-founder of the Practicing Physicians of America. She wrote a piece for the Daily Caller called Time to End Policies Driving Higher Healthcare Costs. We'll want to find out about that. Michael Cannon is the Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. And Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of many books, as well as writing his column for Newsmax.com. It's called On Point. It is January the 26th, and on this day in 1788, Captain Arthur Phillip guided a fleet of 11 British ships carrying convicts to the colony of New South Wales, effectively founding Australia. After overcoming a period of hardship, the fledgling colony began to celebrate the anniversary of this date with a great fanfare, and it eventually became commemorated as Australia Day. Australia, one of the known as uh, New South Wales, was originally planned as a penal colony. In October 1786, the British government appointed Arthur Phillip, captain of the HMS Sirius, and commissioned him to establish an agricultural work camp there for British convicts. With little idea of what he could expect from the mysterious and distant land, Philip had greatly great difficulty assembling the fleet uh, that would make the journey. His request for more experienced farmers to assist the penal colony were repeatedly denied, and he was both poorly funded and outfitted. Nonetheless, accompanied by a small contingent of Marines and other officers, Philip led his 1,000-strong party, of whom more than 700 were convicts, around Africa to the eastern side of Australia. In all, the voyage lasted about eight months, claiming the deaths of some 30 men. The first years of the settlement were nearly disastrous. Cursed with poor soil and an unfamiliar climate, workers who were ignorant of farming, Philip had great difficulty keeping the men alive. The colony was on the verge of outright starvation for several years, and the Marines sent to keep order were not up to the task. Philip, who proved to be a tough but fair-minded leader, persevered by appointing convicts to positions of responsibility and oversight. Floggings and hangings were commonplace, but so was egalitarianism. As Philip said before leaving England, in a new country there will be no slavery, hence no slaves. Though Philip returned to England in 1792, the colony became prosperous by the turn of the 19th century, feeling a new sense of patriotism that began to rally around the January 26th as their founding day. Historian Manning Clark noted that in 1808, the men observed the anniversary of the foundation of, the foundation of a colony with drinking and merriment. In 1818, January 26th became an official holiday marking the 30th anniversary of the British settlement in Australia. As Australia became a sovereign nation, it also became the national holiday known as Australia Day. Now, of course, the Aborigines were there from the very beginning. There were hunters and gatherers, and uh, certainly they weren't going to develop the continent of, of uh, Australia, but the uh, British did. And uh, such an interesting story. Convicts sending, sending uh, a penal colony to Australia to found the continent. Well, U.S. stocks closed higher yesterday. The S&P 500 extended its streak of record highs. Biden is boasting about the recent stock market rally. Stocks have been on a tear for the last 12 months for sure, but that's mostly made up for the lost ground during 2022. Uh, investors are seeking after inflation returns. The real inflation adjusted uh, rate of return after three years of Biden is 7%, which is fairly anemic. By contrast, the S&P was up 36% in real terms at this time of the Trump's presidency, right before COVID hit. The U.S. economy grew at an annualized rate of 3.3% in the final quarter of 2023, according to a preliminary data released yesterday, significantly outpacing the analyst expectations of around 2%. Sustained consumer-fueled uh, spending fueled the growth, including a holiday season that saw record retail spending of almost $965 billion. The fourth uh, quarter figure 
brings full-year uh, growth domestic product to 3.1%. It's pretty amazing, <clears throat> capping a 12-month period that began amid fears of recession inflation near 6.5%. It's currently down at uh, 3.4%. The Federal Reserve has signaled at least three interest rate cuts are likely in 2024 if current economic conditions hold. Uh, Moose analysts uh, would uh, likely sustain continued growth in the near term. The country's total year GDP is roughly 27.6% or $6 trillion with a debt to GDP ratio of 120%, which is way too high. So a surprising growth. I think at this time last year, uh, nobody would have predicted this uh, favorable outcome. Just imagine if uh, Biden hadn't uh, done the things to the economy he did, like uh, making energy prices higher and just a number of other things that exacerbated economic problems. Probably could have had a lot better year than we had. Americans' trust in various uh, professions from professors, members of Congress, has dropped recently. Trust in institutions has decreased across the board in recent years and shows no sign of changing. Respondents continue to feel that elites and professionals do not have Americans' best interests in mind. How about you? Do you feel less trust in institutions that surround you and serve you? I certainly do. Gallup's 2023 Honesty and Ethics Poll asked 800 respondents from December 1st to 20th to rate the honesty and ethical standards of 23 professions. Nearly all answered negatively compared to previous years, followed, uh, following a downward trend in rating since 2019. 56% uh, rate doctors highly, down from 65%. I think you can blame the pandemic on that. 45% rate police officers highly, down from 54%. You can blame, reimagine the police on that one. 42% rate college teachers highly, down from 49%. 32% rate clergy highly, down from 40%. 19% rate journalists highly, down from 28%. 12% rate business leaders highly, down from 20%. Members of Congress have the lowest honesty and ethical standards, according to the survey. Only 6% rate members of Congress highly. Congress members were rated worse than car dealers, stockbrokers, and insurance salespersons. Most highly supported professions have also seen decreases. 78% rated nurses highly, down from 85%, and 60% of rate engineers highly, down from 66%. Republicans and Democrats have different opinions on the same professions. 62% of Democrats rate college teachers highly, compared to only 22% of Republicans. And 32% of Democrats rate journalists highly, 32% compared to 7% of Republicans. Now, why is that, do you suppose? And 37% of Democrats rate police officers highly compared to 55% of Republicans. Declining public trust is a growing crisis as professions are increasingly politicized. Gallup noted that the decreased trust in doctors and pharmacists, for example, comes after handling of COVID-19 pandemic. Well, I would agree. I certainly feel less trust than those institutions that serve me. How about you? Well, after picking up an endorsement from the United Auto Workers Union uh, Wednesday, several key industry figures spoke out against President Joe Biden over his insistence on pushing electric vehicles. Biden in 2023 sided with UAW <clears throat> as it <clears throat> fought with major car producers for better wages and uh, working conditions. Critics saw the move as frivolous. Uh, use of tax, significant taxpayer funds. Steve Malloy, senior policy fellow for the Energy and Environment Legal Institute, described Biden as having been a disaster for automotive industry. Biden's policies have been a disaster for the car industry, especially its workers, M Malloy noted. Car makers are losing tens of thousands of dollars on each EV sold. EV production is reducing the number of auto worker jobs. Pointless fuel economy standards are making cars so expensive that drivers are holding on to their cars for twice as long as they used to. None of this is good for jobs or wages, but Biden doesn't care. His anti-car climate agenda is more important. The endorsement is crucial for uh, any candidate looking to secure the battleground state of Michigan because UAW's potential influence there. The Detroit-based union has more than 400,000 active members and more than 580,000 retired members, uh, which reside in the state. And, and endorsing Biden, UAW President Sean Fain had some strong criticism for his Republican opponent at one point setting up a slide of what Trump has uh, said with actions he took to help the American auto workers. The slide was blank. 
He did nothing, not a damn thing, uh, that he doesn't care about the American worker. Fain said, Donald Trump stands against everything we stand for in a union as a society. Well, I'm not sure that all the auto workers feel that way. I'm pretty certain they don't. And uh, this is another example of perhaps an industry, industry excuse me, a uh, institution, uh, for example, a union, who doesn't necessarily represent the view, view of the people. In fact, 2023 was supposed to be uh, the year of labor unions flex their muscle, especially for the pal Lunch Bucket Joe in the White House. The pro-union forces tout the lengthy auto union workers' strike and ended with a big contract payoff and the fact that some uh, folks at Starbucks are unionizing. Except new Bureau of Labor Statistics data show that the percentage of workers who belong to unions in the United States hit a record low of 10% in 2023. That's down by half from 40 years ago. In 1983, one in five workers were union members. But the even bigger story in the union membership is the private sector unions are disappearing. In the 1950s, nearly all the union members were private sector workers. Today, private sector union membership has tumbled to only 6% of the workforce. All the remaining union power is in the government worker unions. Today, 32.5% of public sector workers are in unions. Their salary and benefit packages far outstrip those in the private sector. Why are more and more blue-collar workers spurning unions? One answer is that the union bosses don't represent the interests of their members anymore. Trump won millions of blue-collar union members in 2016 and 2020, but the union bosses gave more than 95% of the union money to Biden and the Democrats. Biden's anti-fossil fuels crusade will destroy hundreds of thousands of blue-collar union jobs, and yet the union bosses still support him. Can you explain that? I certainly can't. Well, President Joe Biden reportedly is ignoring the advice of polls, allies, and even his former running mate, Barack Obama, who are all urging him to withdraw his bid to run for presidency in 2024 to preserve the Democrat Party's chances of retaining and holding on power. According to an insider, tensions arose between the two presidents when Obama confronted Biden at a secret meeting about his diminishing chances of defeating the Republican candidate Donald Trump in the November election. Observers say that the 81-year-old Biden seems oblivious to the lack of excitement surrounding his campaign and his dwindling approval ratings. The news of the tensions came uh, after former First Lady Michelle Obama expressed her concern about the upcoming election and allegedly hinted that Biden might be not be the best candidate to win. Political analysts suggest Michelle's comments may have been prompted by pressure from her husband and his supporters to put himself forward as a primary challenger to Biden. Given his uh, declining popularity and perceived lack of capacity to handle the rigors of the office, sources suggest both Obamas have been troubled by Biden's poor approval rating and are concerned that once again, America's first black president may not have to betray his old running mate. In 2016, Obama endorsed Hillary Clinton instead of Biden, who had declared his interest in leading the country. Uh, the National Enquirer reports that in a recent meeting with Obama, Biden was told to improve his game or step aside for a candidate who can win the race. With only 38% of Americans approving of Biden's performance and about 58% holding a negative opinion, there's a growing fear within the Democrat Party circles that uh, uh, Trump will uh, win this election. We're going to talk more about that with Larry Bell a little bit later in the show. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, William Yateman, Senior Legal Fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. 
Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. And now serving dinner, 4 to 8 p.m., Wednesdays through Saturdays, a terrific menu. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with uh, Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. Right now, we have with us William Yateman. He is a senior legal fellow with Pacific Legal Foundation. William, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure, William. Tell us about the Pacific Legal Foundation. You bet. We're a nonprofit law firm, and we defend Americans for free from government overreach and abuse. PacificLegal.org is the website. I hope you check it out, PacificLegal.org. So, William, I've been looking forward to this conversation. We've got now kind of a standoff. I'm going to call it a constitutional crisis. The Supreme Court ruled in favor of the Biden administration on Border Patrol agents being able to cut through the razor wire in Texas. And now Republican governors, 25 states, have released a joint statement proclaiming their support for Governor uh, Greg Abbott in Texas about uh, his stand, basically saying, actually, uh, the supremacy clause doesn't protect uh, the federal uh, uh, homeland security workers. It actually protects the states. And uh, he's saying that there's an invasion in Texas. What are your thoughts about all this? I think you've set it up perfectly. Um, This is an acute constitutional crisis and one that pertains to our system of federalism. Um, And the operational policy here, what is at issue, is, is what's known as Operation Lone Star. And this is an effort by Texas to, in effect, control its borders. Um, And among the many policies of this Operation Lone Star was establishing uh, concertina wire, which apparently is the new name for razor wire, along 29 miles of the Rio Grande River. Um, And the federal, the Border Patrol, the federal government had been cutting this razor wire um, ostensibly, according to what the federal government argues in court, uh, in order to implement, in order to enforce federal immigration laws. Now, Texas has video to the contrary. Um, they've got very compelling evidence that the Border Patrol, Patrol was, in fact, cutting this wire in order to allow the passage of immigrants there through, I mean, in order to facilitate immigration. Mm-hmm. Um, the long and short of it is that Texas sued the federal government and it brought uh, claims under the common law. In essence, said you're trespassing upon uh, private and state property, and you're also destroying our private property by cutting this razor wire. Texas won in December from the uh, 
Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals hmm. an order that required the federal government to halt this cutting of the razor wire. And then what you mentioned at the outset was this Supreme Court order. And this is a preliminary stage of the case. So that is to say the Supreme Court order you speak of that was five to four that overturned the Fifth Circuit decision. It did not come with an opinion explaining what the justices were thinking. Um, but nonetheless, the, the fact that it was 5-4 is indicative of uh, the, just how deep this controversy runs. Mm-hmm. Um, that is to say, it is uh, within our losses, within our legal system, under our constitutional framework, the federal government has plenary power over immigration. Mm-hmm. And yet, to the extent that the federal government has, uh, at least under this current administration, has been abdicating its responsibilities at the border, um, the power of, of uh, let's see, the, the implications of that federal abdication for our system of federalism are indicative or are evident in the 5-4 decision. I mean, the fact that this was not 9-0 in favor of the federal government, the fact that four justices and a, a lower court, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, have given credence to the arguments brought by these uh, very novel and indeed, uh, uh, frankly, legally brilliant arguments brought by Texas, um, it's indicative of, of just how deep this controversy runs. So this is the first step. Um, as you mentioned, uh, the, in the wake of the Supreme Court's ruling, the Texas governor has announced that they're going to try other legal tacks. Um, mm-hmm. The one you mentioned is pursuant to the Tenth Amendment of the Constitution. So this is not the last we've heard on this issue, um, and it just demonstrates how not only politically is this a minefield, it is also in the world of law, Um, It engenders very difficult constitutional questions. Indeed. Well, thanks for that summary. It's really interesting. I I must say, I'm quite certain that the Founding Fathers understood that a scoundrel could get in the White House and end up not enforcing the law. And uh, they they provided for that in the Constitution, that if, in fact, that happens, that the states have a right to protect themselves and their citizens. So it is a constitutional crisis. Does the uh, Supreme Court ever reverse itself? In other words, it, it would say... It sounds like they're saying we're going to support the federal government in this case. Now would they come back and say we're going to support the state? It's entirely possible. And so uh, what I mean by that, when I spoke earlier of how this is a preliminary posture, uh, that is to say, in legal terms, they have not yet reached the merits or the substance mm. of the legal issues at play. They're, they're, uh, that order, uh, both at the Fifth Circuit and the Supreme Court was only based on the likelihood of success on the merits that they will ultimately reach. So, yes, it, uh, it is entirely possible, uh, uh, as this case proceeds, that with more briefing, with more information, that the Supreme Court would change its mind. Uh, that is to say, because of the preliminary posture, because they have not yet reached the further steps of the case, reached the merits of the substance of the law, it's entirely possible that the Supreme Court could change its mind on this preliminary matter. So interesting. So here we are. We have a constitutional crisis. We have this imminent crisis on the border right now. Would the Supreme Court really consider right now uh, reversing their position and supporting Texas, or would they wait until, let's say, June to announce the decision? Oh, well, my, the wheels of justice grind slow. So I, I, I didn't mean to... Um, uh, intimate that that anything would be happening soon. Right. So yes, the the case in effect, the merits or, or the substance of this case, the legal merits, are now kicked back down to the lower court, and it will take months, uh, sometimes even beyond a year, before those those uh, matters are ironed out. Wow. Indeed, it could be uh, we could have a new president um, in the interim, which would perhaps moot a lot of these questions. So it, it is uh, whereas the Supreme Court could change this preliminary, its mindset regarding this preliminary matter at a subsequent juncture of this case, uh, the wheels of justice grind slow. And indeed, we could have a new president before the wheels of justice uh, came to a halt with a decision. Well, and uh, in addition to that now, apparently, uh, the president, uh, Biden, has said, uh, you've got 24 hours to cease and desist. So he's made a threat here. He's put a red line in the sand, apparently. So this could escalate pretty quickly. It's so interesting. William, I wish we had more time to discuss this, but I really appreciate the light that you brought to this topic. Again, William Yateman, Senior Legal Fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation, pacificlegal.org. William, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. 
Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Dr. Marion Mass. She is a Philadelphia area pediatrician and co-founder of the uh, Practicing Physicians of America. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Make it a convenient and stress-free experience by calling the dynamic and trustworthy husband and wife team of Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties. Find out about their unique and complimentary post-closing concierge services not offered by other area agents. Matt and Megan Chionis give you the competitive advantage to command a premium price for your property. They personally attend all showings, create a marketing strategy for your property, and offer that complimentary concierge service to your potential buyer. This hands-on approach has helped them set several sales records in Pelican Bay and many at near-record prices. Megan and Matt Chionis understand that as an affluent buyer-seller, your needs and desires are unique. You deserve this level of service. Megan and Matt Chionis are passionate about the Naples lifestyle and they want you to enjoy it too. Call Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties at 239-269-5310. That's 239-269-5310. You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239 325 1041. That's 239 325 1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Tim Garrett, candidate for Collier County Supervisor of Elections. Tim's a 33-year resident of Collier County, a military veteran, a retired sheriff's officer, and a graduate of the FBI National Academy. He stands for Safe, Secure, Ethical Elections in Collier County. Vote for Tim Garrett and check out his website, votefortimgarrett.com. Paid for by Tim Garrett. Republican for the Cuyahoga County Supervisor of Elections. I think he'd do a great job, and uh, well, I think this is our interview coming up. Uh, Dr. Marion Mass? Yes, this is me. Sorry, I stepped away from the phone for a second. Well, it's not a problem. I was looking forward to our interview today. Uh, and uh, you wrote a column for uh, Daily Caller, I think it is, that uh, uh, recovery and unfulfilled promises of, well, excuse me, uh, time to end policies driving higher health care costs. Maybe you could tell us about it. Yes, I did. The Daily Caller. Yes, so maybe you could tell us about the column. Sure. Um, you know, the big, the big message of the column is uh, that there's some industries that have rules that work specially for them, and the hospital industry is one of those rules. If you're a hospital or you're a hospital-owned clinic, um, under the current rules of Medicare, you get, you get more for procedures and uh, drugs given for Medicare patients. And so what this does is it takes independent physician practices and makes them look very nice to the hospital who wants to buy them so yeah. that they can get higher pay. And it drives the physicians that are independent out of business and creates consolidation. And when you have consolidation, you have lack of competition. And I don't know any situation in which monopolies or near monopolies make anything less costly. Yeah. Do you? No, I don't. In fact, uh, Dr. Mass, it's a, such an interesting topic because uh, what I've seen here um, in, in Naples, Florida, 
is a, a, a lot of pa- practices, physicians' practices being bought up by hospitals. And uh, I think what you're describing is it's, mo- it's financially motivated. In other words, there's a bigger piece of the pie when hospitals are involved in the transaction than individual practices. Absolutely. You know, you have, I, it's a perverse incentive. You know, people often ask me, what are three things that you could do to fix health care? And I say, um, open the books, you know, make everything transparent so you can see where the money goes and cut the glut, get rid of like unnecessary paperwork and busy work and make everyone play by the same rules. Well, this is almost an example of two things. You know, most people aren't aware of the money flowing to hospitals being greater, uh, number one. And number three, it also applies there. Like there's there's rules for some and there's not rules for others. Yeah. Uh, it's also, it's interesting because then a lot of physicians, they find when they're not independent anymore, they're not working for their patient. They're working for the hospital. And I think, it, not in all cases, I mean, I'm not saying hospitals are bad or evil or what have you. Right. But I think most Americans have been under the um, the impression that the hospital represents the physician, and I guess it does because they own more of them, Yeah. but the physicians aren't necessarily happy about that. It's a really interesting exercise to talk to the hospital and physician, uh, the um, physicians and nurses that you know that work for a major hospital system and ask if they think the hospital itself is being run well. Yeah, in most cases, I have some very good friends who do work in those circumstances, and they they abhor their relationship with the hospital, frankly. So, uh, you know, but what's the perverse incentive here? Why why is Medicare? Why do these large institutions in the federal government incent this kind of behavior? Is it because of lobbyists on K Street? Um. All right, so I, I will say I, I don't know if it's your connection or my connection. I'm kind of getting every other word. I, I think what you're asking me, and you can say yes or no, maybe, is that is is this the kind of thing that happens with lobbying? Yeah. Is that what you're asking? I, I'm asking, what, yeah. what is the incentive for the federal government to, to step in and make things more profitable and more attractive for uh, hospital-owned uh, practices? Well, ugh. I, I guess I, I, you're... Uh, you're asking me to ascribe a motive or like a reason. Yeah. I imagine I, I like to imagine what's said here um, between a lawmaker and a lobbyist. And yeah. uh, if you if you follow lobbying like I do, the American Hospital Association that represents nonprofit hospitals, it's a behemoth organization. Mm-hmm. It's it's been top ten for twenty years in terms of the money that they give over uh, to. Uh, Congress and the like, um, for for decades, they've I'm sure they've told politicians, and I, I've seen it written. Well, we do a lot of charity work, so you know you got to kind of help us out, and this helps us make up for the charity work we do. But once we expanded Medicaid, that argument rings a little false, doesn't yeah. it? Uh, and in fact, in recent years, um, it's been seen that uh, for-profit hospitals actually end up dispensing more work for the needy that nonprofit hospitals do. Interesting. And there's very little because the nonprofit hospitals are previously maybe they had an uninsured patient and now they're collecting through Medicaid. So there's much less uh, work that they're doing on behalf of truly needy patients. Plus, so I think that's been plus, one of the arguments. Yeah, they're they're also serving uh, uh, illegal immigrants coming in and who are getting free medical uh, medical treatments as well. So that's going to reduce that profitability, and that money could be directed to other uh, other sources. That's true. I mean, you 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 could say that because a hospital. One of the things that is harder for a hospital is the hospital and all the physicians that work it, especially in the emergency room. They're bound by something called EMTALA, um, the Emergency Medical believe in treatment act mm-hmm. um i think it was done in the 80s it's, you can't refuse any anyone's care they could come in with a, a hangnail and you know they have to be treated and the penalties are like really brisk you know there's some good reasons for that you don't want to let patients you know uh, die a horrible death right needlessly but I, I i can't say that any of us saw uh, maneuvers like that happening or very few so doctor that do, happened but dr mass i'd like to be with the little time we have left 
what's the perfect solution to these problems? How can we actually create uh, more uh, and the policies driving higher health care costs? Well, in this particular case, like this policy will go away should the Senate pass some version of the Transparency, Lower Costs, More Transparency Act that was passed overwhelmingly bipartisanly by the House. Uh-huh. I mean, believe it or not, there's actually been, and especially in healthcare, you know, we hear about all the fighting that goes on down there, but in terms of um, transparency and the need to pass reasonable reform like this in healthcare, uh-huh. it's happening across the aisle. Down there in Congress, they've been um, discussing the, trans- the need to uncover where the money is going. Um, they're aware of issues like this um, because there's been a lot of grassroots people that are pointing them out. There's been a lot of independent physicians that have been telling them this. There's, of course, the natural pushback by the hospital uh, and the hospital lobby. As you can imagine, yeah. you know, hospitals are pretty, well, there's a lot of money flow into hospitals, and there's a lot of ways that they can lobby against stuff like this. But in terms of showing where the money flow is going and making some of the rules the same for everyone, and uh, actually another favorite topic of mine, uh, drug middlemen policy, yeah. those things are now getting pushed around in a bipartisan manner. It's a wonderful thing. It is a wonderful thing. Again, Dr. Mary Mass, I really appreciate this conversation. I hope you come back on the show. Again, speaking about time to end policies driving higher health care costs, Dr. Mass, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Oh, I'm happy to come on any time. I wish I was in Naples right now. It's raining and cold up here. <laughs> I'm so sorry to hear that. Thank you, Dr. Mass. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting uh, with Michael Cannon, Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Two-thirds of parents prefer educational options for their children, with 40% strongly preferring options for their child's education. School choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit corporation, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior quality schools of choice. Optima's goal was the successful launch of Hillsdale College Varney Charter School, Initiative Classical Academies, and other schools of excellence across the state of Florida, serving kindergarten through the 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through a content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. And a terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy has already opened here in Naples. You can find out more by visiting the website Optima.Foundation. Help children in Florida optimize their educational opportunities. Visit www.Optima.Foundation. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. You can find out more and get some tickets to some great upcoming performances. The website is golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. Right now we have with us Michael Cannon, Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. 
Great to be back, Bob. Thank you, Michael. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank in Washington, D.C. We've been around since 1977. And our mission is to uh, let you live your life however you want, as long as you respect the equal rights of others. And that uh, doesn't make us uh, right or left. It doesn't make us Republican or Democrat, conservative, progressive, anything. Well, I do think we're rather progressive. Uh, we call ourselves libertarians because we, we uh, believe in individual liberty, which means you should get to make all the major decisions, uh, all the decisions that affect your life. It, uh, it violates the principle of equality for uh, government to go around making your health care and your education and other decisions for you. Well, thank you for that, Michael. Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O dot org. So, Alfie, you were telling me about a, a problem with being over, uh, with uh, overcharges by hospitals for performing uh, routine surgeries. Maybe you could tell us more about that. So, yeah, uh, two articles came across my desk from uh, KFS Health News. This is an organization that just does health care reporting, and they do fantastic work. They have a series called the Bill of the Month Club that reports on outrageous incident uh, examples of the phenomena that you and I have discussed, which is that when the government makes us uh, buy more insurance than we wanted to buy or distorts the tax code so that it encourages us to buy more insurance than we would otherwise or, or it subsidizes insurance heavily so that more people have more insurance than they than, than is efficient, well, the patient doesn't care about the price anymore because someone else is paying. Right. And insurers are not very good price negotiators, and the providers know that, so they jack up their prices. Hmm. So what, these stories happen over and over again, where uh, where hospitals and, and physician practices send patients these really outrageous charges. And uh, one of these articles was about a couple in uh, Illinois who went to get their colonoscopies because they turned 45 years old. And if you recall, under Obamacare, colonoscopies are supposed to be free, which means, of course, they're not free. The insurance company has to pick up the tab. Mm -hmm. But but that's not working very well because in the case of this couple, what happened was the gastroenterology practice sent the insurance company a bill for their colonoscopies that was more than $2,000. They billed more than $2,000 per colonoscopy. Uh, the insurance company paid about 400 each. That was the what the insurance company had negotiated. So already there was some of this fishy stuff going on because if, if they're willing to accept $400, per colonoscopy, why are they charging 2000 in the first place? Mm -hmm. Okay, That'll become important again when we talk about the second article. But then the gastroenterology practice added a $600 charge for surgical trays, as if that shouldn't be part of the, the $400 payment that covers the entire thing. Mm -hmm. They throw in these side charges, hoping that you'll just pay them and not contest them. What this couple did was they contested it. They went to the insurance uh, 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 regulators, and they went to their insurance company, and they filed complaints. And finally, uh, the insurance company agreed to pay this, which, uh, this fee, which tells you uh, that they're not very good price negotiators because they should have just gotten it stricken. Uh, uh, I think another lesson of this is that, uh, is that Obamacare's uh, mandate that colonoscopies be free. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it illustrates another way that uh, that that, that mandate uh, doesn't make them free because uh, because people will always game those sorts of requirements and try to slip in extra charges. But let's say that the insurance company didn't. Uh, let's say the insurance company didn't cover that mm -hmm. or or didn't cover some other outrageous charge that hospitals uh, 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 saddle patients with all the time, and it's not like a $400 charge for one of those 2000 or uh, tens or hundreds of thousands of dollar charges, people in the United States end up with a lot of medical debt. Uh, there's, uh, uh, there are estimates that the medical debt in the United States is approaching $200 billion. Wow. Uh, and that's what the second article is about. The second article is about 
cities, municipalities, helping to get rid of people's medical debt by buying up that medical debt and just forgiving it. Hmm. Uh, the city of Chicago has been doing this for a while. Washington, D.C. is doing it. New York has just announced that they're going to be doing it. And this sounds like a wonderful, compassionate thing, because there are unscrupulous healthcare providers that are charging outrageously high prices to people. And if they don't have an insurance company to negotiate that price down for them and they can't pay that themselves, then that, that $2,000 charge or whatever uh, goes to collections. And it, it doesn't go to collections as a $400 negotiated uh, price. No, it goes to collections as that $2,000 list price. Yeah. So, so then what are the municipalities doing? They're buying up that debt and then, and then forgiving it. But that doesn't make that debt go away. Right. That just goes to the that, taxpayer. That makes the taxpayers right. cover that debt. It shifts the cost of that debt to, de- debt to taxpayers. So as I said earlier before uh, when we were off the air – uh, what's happening here is the government is getting taxpayers coming and going. Yeah, All these things the government does jacks up prices for health care, and then uh, the government has just found another way to make us pay those, out, those outrageous prices. And I would imagine that uh, illegal immigration is exacerbating this problem tremendously uh, in, the, in the last year or so. I'm not sure that it is because, you know, the problem of uncompensated care, which is what a lot of people worry about when they are talking about uh, immigration and health care, is a very, very small problem uh, in in the United States. And uh, uh, I think, you know, as you and I both know that there are there are rules that say that uh, uh, individuals who are not legally present, undocumented immigrants, can they not sign up for uh, med- the Medicaid program? They cannot sign up for Obamacare, so they can't get government subsidies that way. So interesting what you know. Somebody's paying for it, and you know that the illegal immigrants are not. So, again, it probably comes back to the taxpayer some way. And I mean, when you're talking about millions and millions of people here, and especially in major cities like Chicago, Washington, D.C., and New York, you know somehow, some way, that it's coming back to the taxpayer. But all of this, as, as you pointed out so many times, it's so unnecessary. Obamacare is a, is a, in my opinion, it's a anchor around the neck of the American public. We should just get rid of it, start over, and uh, cr- have insurance companies compete for business and, uh, in free enterprise, not in a re- government-regulated market. You know, I agree. A problem that Obamacare, among the problems Obamacare has created is, it has t- taken people with what were and should still be insured medical conditions huh. and turn them into uh, uninsurable pre-existing conditions yeah. uh, and then just subsidize them. So if we got rid of Obamacare, as you and I would like to do, there would be a lot of people who have Obamacare right now who would not be able to get insurance in that world. Unbelievable. Uh, would not be able to get insurance in a world of underwriting. Yeah. And uh, some people are going to need subsidies, uh, and uh, I, I think it, you know, a, a decent just society should make uh, uh, some plans for that, should provide help to people who, who cannot obtain it themselves. Uh, I don't think that should happen through the government. Right. Uh, I, I would, but I would gladly take a, a world where there are just subsidies for those people that Obamacare has left uninsurable, but then uh, where the government allows people to buy real insurance yeah. that stays with them for the rest of their life and keeps any conditions they develop from becoming uninsurable uh, uh, pre-existing conditions because My- they have insurance that covers them. Yeah, Michael Cannon, again, Director of Health Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. I encourage you to visit the website cato.org. Also, take a look at his book, Recovery and the Unfulfilled Promises of Obamacare. You can get a copy of it on cato.org. Michael, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Love being here, Bob. Take care. You as well. Thank you. All right, coming up, Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston, space architecture, that and more, right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, 
Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Lyndon and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. They help prepare elected officials to have winning strategies. You can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston. He's also a prolific author. His latest book, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design, it's a terrific read, and also writes a column for Newsmax.com. It's called On Point. Professor, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Bob, I enjoy it. Thank you so much. As we do as well, Professor. Now, you wrote a column, Michelle Obama replaced Biden on 2024 ticket. Uh, don't count on it. Interesting thought. But, you know, right now the walls are kind of closing in on Joe Biden, and uh, he seems somewhat uh, aloof to the whole problem that uh, I'm hearing now that uh, Barack Obama is saying you got to up your game, you're going to get out of the race and, and this type of thing. Is there a viable alternative to uh, to uh, but Joe Biden and the presidency? I sure don't see one. Uh, you know, I've been talking about this for a long time. I think you have as well. The, uh, Democrats don't have any bench, you know, and it's, it's also getting very late. Yeah. And this was less than a year before that voting. And, uh, you know, the, you know, they had, we, we, you, you think of the Democrats as always being united and together, but actually there's, Two two big factions. There is the very far left faction with Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and so on, and they're not going to relinquish control of this of the puppet strings anytime, yeah, anytime soon if they can avoid it. And then and and then you got Kamala there, kind of cackling in the background, and 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 uh, and and you you try to look for well, where's where is there any daylight for them and. Gavin Newsom, you know, you know, you think of the wrecking ball economy and crime issues in California, and you know, he's a he's a slick guy and has good hair and everything, but he's, you know, I, I can't see him appealing to a mass number of uh, voters that are concerned about inflation and and uh, most recently concerned about, you know, the the border issue is really way up there now in terms yeah. of poll issues that we've seen recently and. And so you see, you see Newsom, and then you know the the notion that there's going to be some hail mary, you know, development with a Michelle you know, Michelle Obama, kind of like that's kind of a repeat of old ghost stories of the past. You know, they're going to run Oprah, or they're going to you know pull some you know some uh, genie out of the bottle that we haven't seen before. Right. It's kind of late for that, and and. So I don't see that, and I and I see a lot of 
you know, the border thing, the public's really waking up to that, and it's, it's about time. You think of the optics now with, you know, Texas you know, putting concertina wire up and the feds cutting it down, and I can't imagine border protection is all excited about that because, you know, they really want to, you know, the, the marching troops at the border really want to do their job, and they've been, uh, they've been really uh, sabotaged by the Biden administration, and you know they don't want, they don't want this this nonsense, but it's going to be a a big election time optics, and then we've got the you know not only impeachment of, of Mayorkas coming up, which but really the you know the blame is with Joe, and Joe's got problems with you know is this is this Hunter gonna is Hunter gonna follow the you know the trail of others to uh, uh, you know condemn to Congress uh, to to the slammer. Uh, not likely, and then so you got all these, you know, these witch, these these uh, court cases against Trump that have just fanned, you know, Trump's base like crazy. Yeah, so I I don't see it. I I've had this running uh, discussion with my my wife. I bet her a thousand bucks last night that that uh, Michelle Obama wouldn't wouldn't be in the running, and she. She, she, you know, she did. She backed off. She wouldn't bet me. So, <laughs> uh, well, you know, Professor, it's, it's so interesting that uh, it was interesting to me that the timing of Michelle Obama saying she's really concerned about Biden and she's really concerned about Trump winning the presidency, and so it just struck me as uh, so timely that she would make those comments. Uh, and uh, in your column, you point out that look, she's got a, a really plush, plush, plush life. She has no motivation in order to step in and, and, and do this work to become president of the United States and take all the ridicule and uh, the uh, damaging comments and so forth. And yet, it seems to me she's the only possible Hail Mary pass that they've got. Well, she's got a lot of baggage, too. As a, as a, you know, I mentioned in the article this uh, patient dumping scheme that she had in Chicago at, a, at, the, at the hospital where, uh, you know, they were... They had too many indigent patients, and they were trying to, you know, they, had this, they put this, this uh, group together to convince them that they'd be better off <laughs> at another hospital. Yeah. And, and, you know, this, and that was kind of engineered by Valerie Jarrett. And, and uh, you know, uh, Biden tried to pump a million bucks from the state legislature into that deal and failed. But, I mean, in, and then. How many people want another a fourth Obama term? You know, you look at Susan Rice and yeah. and uh, uh, the you know the, the hangers-on that were that were you know, Biden surrogates that are in the White House, well, mostly not doing so well. So I think you know you say how many people want? I, I don't think I don't think. Uh, uh, Barack Obama has the same uh, uh, charisma that, no. that he used to have. He has the same cachet that he used to have. So you, you really say, you know, is is Michelle Obama going to run our 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 international policies and our military? You know, Barack didn't do such a great job at that, and 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 uh, is that really what the public wants? So I I think the public wants leadership. Uh, and uh, and and there's, I think there's a, a lot of uh, fond memories about Trump's policies yeah. that 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 were reversed and at the border and and you know the, you know the uh, energy independence and so on. Absolutely. So, and I tell my wife. I said, "Stop trying to depress me, Nancy." <laughs> So interesting. And what's happening on the border right now? I mean, that uh, Biden drew a line in the sand, basically saying, uh, <clears throat> you, you better cease and desist in 24 hours. So this thing is escalating pretty quickly, and I think it's going to be a real black mark on the Biden presidency. Professor, I wish we had more time to discuss these issues. I really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Again, Larry Bell, the author of Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design. I hope you check it out. Also, Newsmax.com. Check out his column on point. Professor, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Well, Bob, thanks again. Always a pleasure indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. We've got some great guests lined up for Monday's show as well, so I hope you'll tune in. In the meantime, I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast. 
or wherever you are, namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harton Show on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharton.com.